Good evening, ladies. Shana Tova, everyone. Sorry for being late. Uh, I, I had a lecture in Borough Park. In Borough Park, if you don't remember which block you put your car, you're done. <laughs> Took me half an hour to find which block I exactly parked. And plus, a lot of traffic now, Erev Chag. But Baruch Hashem, I hope you had some delicious food here. So now let's get to business. Since we did not make a topic, it's just as natural that we're going to speak about Yom Kippur. In two days from now, maybe the most important day of the year. And uh, many of the Jews, they don't really know what Yom Kippur means. They don't know what Rosh Hashanah means completely. I always say every year, unfortunately, I'm sad to say it, but reality is reality, that if you take a thousand Jews on the street, no matter what country you go to, Russia, America, Europe, uh, Israel, even Israel, you ask the Israelis or the American Jews or Russian Jews or Persian Jews, whatever you want, you ask them, tell me, do you know what Rosh Hashanah means? Nobody almost knows. Maybe 800 out of the 1,000 won't have any idea what Rosh Hashanah is. They only know it's a, the new year, the new Jewish year. That's in the best case scenario. Some don't even know that. Those who would know that it's a new year, a new Jewish year, other than that, they'll know it's a holiday and that's it. For them, it's like the, the, the goyim, the Christians have New Year's Eve. What do they do in Rosh Hashanah? They go, they get drunk, they go to club, parties, you know, that's it, New Year's Eve. That's how they symbol, symbolize their New Year. But in the Torah that the Jews received in Mount Sinai 3,300 years ago in a public event, that changed the face of the world. Before that, there was one word. And now, after the Torah was given to the Jews, it's a whole different world. Why? Because for the first time in history, a large group of people heard the voice of God. First and last time. It never happened before, and it never happened ever again after that. One time in history, the Jews received the Torah from the creator of the world in a public event. And that's, by the way, one of the main differences between Judaism to 80,000 fake religions and cults that started after Judaism started. So for instance, if you come to the Christians, you ask them, how did your religion start? How did it start? They tell you the story from the New Testament. One woman, Jewish woman, named Miriam, Mary, in English, Maria, in Spanish, uh, so she got married to a person, a Jewish man named Yosef, Joseph, Jose, and <laughs> you know, and uh, they got married, and uh, he went away, and he came back after a few months, and he saw that she's Baruch Hashem gained a lot of weight, and there was not no such delicious cream cakes over here like here, so she asked her what happened. So she said, "What well, do you suspect that I cheated on you?" I'm a religious woman. Everyone was religious back then, in case you didn't know. So she said, I'm a religious woman. What did you expect? And he said, she said to him, I'm still a virgin. No man ever touched me. God came to me in a dream, and he made me pregnant. And that's how their religion started, with a story of a woman that if she wouldn't make that lie, she would be executed. Back in the days when a woman cheated on her husband, she used to get death penalty. Today she get a television show. <laughs> you know, wow, you're in style. 
Welcome to the club, darling. You know, which show you want? You want on prime time, you want on another one, maybe you get half of the house as reward for your actions. This is the way the world was back then. Whether it was a Jewish woman, whether it was non-Jewish woman, if a, if a woman cheated on her husband while she's married, there was execution, death penalty. In all the world, not only by the Jews, everywhere. Don't forget that's before Islam even started. There's no Islam. You know, back then it was in, there was no Christianity. When the story happened, Christianity didn't start it. It would start many, many years later. So therefore, there are many, many different cults, but there's only one main religion, is Judaism. The rest is all cults, katot. So she made up a story, he loves her, he doesn't want to see her dead, and he'd married her, and JC was born, he went to yeshiva, he had bar mitzvah, he got feeling, you know, he went up to the Torah, then he got kicked out of yeshiva, and he made himself a cult, a group of people, all the homeless people, Jews and some non-Jews. And 300 years after he died, they started to tell fairy tales about him. Nobody knows how he looked. Nobody ever saw him. Nobody even knew if he existed. Nobody ever saw him. They started to make stories. He walked on water. He, he fed 500 people with a loaf of bread. And this is a religion of two billion people, not one percent evidence if it ever happened in reality. Complete fairy tales. You want to believe it? Fine, up to you. You don't want to believe it? Up to you. No proofs whatsoever. You want to dedicate your life to a religion that it has less than one percent chance that it ever happened? Islam is not a lot better. One day Muhammad showed up. Based on the Quran, Muhammad was an ignorant man. He doesn't know how to read and he doesn't know how to write. So he was somewhere in a desert and from out of nowhere, the angel Gabriel, which is a very holy angel of the Jewish nation, angel Gabriel, from all the people in the world, there are so many tens of thousands of holy rabbis back then, 1400 years ago, the most holy rabbis in history, the world is full of them, from all the people in the world, the angel chose an Arab, a non-Jew, completely ignorant, doesn't know how to read one word, in the middle of nowhere, and made him a new prophet. Right away, you can see the story doesn't make a lot of sense. As soon as you begin to read the story, you don't know if to laugh or to cry. So he says that he gave him the Quran, he made him the new prophet, and he started to go with the gang from one house to the other, meaning tents, that the Arabs live in tents. If you're with me, I'll let you leave. You accept me as a prophet. If not, everyone get killed. Started to kill people. Everyone got scared, and that's how Islam started. Two, 1,400 years later is more or less the same story. You want to be Muslim, we'll let you leave. You don't want to be Muslim, you must die. The same concept state is just that they're much, much bigger than back then. Back then it was a few hundred people, and then thousands, and then a million, and then five million, and today it's almost two billion. This is uh, Islam. Then you have all kinds of uh, Hare Krishna, uh, Santiology, Santiology, and, uh, and uh, you know, all kinds of cults like Buddhism and Hinduism. And some of them have hundreds of millions of people. The only religion that started in a public event that no one can deny, and that's why the Christians and the Muslims admit they couldn't deny the fact the Jews received the Torah from God. No one can deny it. 
it was much easier for the Christians and to the, and to the Muslims to come and say, ah, oh, you the Jews made up a story. It never really happened. God never gave the Torah to Moses. You made it up. Here, now the first religion in the history just began. Today, when Muhammad got the book. There's no other prophet. Only one is him. But I never did it. Why? You cannot deny a religion that is already 2,000 years old. Synagogues everywhere. Thousands of Torah scrolls. Jews with filin and talit and circumcision and kosher food and way of life all over the world. Now you're coming to claim that all of that never happened. It's not realistic. No one will take you serious. Same thing Christians. They never, never try to claim that God never gave the Torah to the Jews. They only came and said God gave another book. And that's the mistake they made. Thank God. We're lucky very much, the Jews, that the mistake that they made is that they confirm that God gave the Torah to the Jews in a public event. They only claim that later he gave part two. And that's where the mistake they made, especially when Muhammad wasn't such a brilliant guy. After all, they, they, they themselves admit that he wasn't able to read and write. So when the Quran was given, it's full of human errors, and it contradicts completely the Torah. So if it's from the same God, how the same God write everything almost the opposite in the Quran? What happened to him? He changed his mind. He got confused. He doesn't remember what he said. So therefore, the Quran contradicts the Torah non-stop, one thing after the other. And they made such ridiculous mistakes over there. For instance, they made an appointment, a meeting between Haman and who? Paro. Paro, the king of Egypt, lived 3,300 years ago. The story of Exodus of Egypt. And Haman was a thousand years later in Persia, different part of the world. According to the Quran, they met... They had sushi together. <laughs> Maybe they met in Gehenom. I don't know exactly where they met. But they met, according to the Quran, the one who wrote the Quran was so ignorant that he couldn't tell the dates of Megillat Esther, of the scroll of Esther, and the book of Genesis. He mixed them like they are in the same time and made a fake meeting between Haman and Pharaoh. And obviously, God doesn't make such foolish mistakes. Even my little kid knows better in first or second grade. So we, here is an example how it takes 10 minutes to someone clever to know that every one of these 80,000 religions are all fake. None of them was given by God. Don't ever be impressed that you see amazing churches, billions of dollars that they have and invested in nice buildings. It's nothing. If the book is not from God, doesn't matter what they do. It's all waste of time. We, the Jewish people, in one way we're lucky, and one way we're not. I'll explain what I said. We're lucky for the fact that we are the only nation that did receive a book from God. Why are we not lucky? Because we dropped it. We neglected it, and we're paying the price. See, if we all follow the book of the Torah, who is going to be luckier than us? we connected with the creator of the world. We all go to heaven for eternity, as the Torah promised. And everyone is happy. God is happy. We are happy. Everyone is, everything is perfect. Situation is that 70 or 80% of the Jewish nation completely never opened the Torah once in their life. Never. Even some of them that has the Torah in their house, if you ask them, do you have the Torah? Oh, excuse me, what? The Torah, do you have, what do you mean exactly? I have Tehillim. Tehillim I have. I don't even know what the Torah is. You know how many hundreds of people argue with me over the years if the Torah is from God or not, and they never read the Torah once in their life? 
Imagine such a thing. Imagine I come to a big, big shot lawyer, criminal lawyer. He knows all the laws of the court, federal court, criminal court. He's 30 years, a real shark. The judges are afraid of him. And me, never read one book of law in the United States. Don't know their laws. Don't know how many years prison for this, prisons for that. First crime, second crime. You know, nothing. No, no knowledge whatsoever. And I come to this lawyer and I say, listen, mister, you are a dumb fool. Excuse me? Yes, you're dumb. What is this nonsense that you just said in court? So he would ask me which law school you went to. Nothing. I grew up on a beach in Israel. Over there, you know, with all the surfers on the beach. We're laying there in the sun. We never opened the book until we were 18. And you come to tell me what's the right thing to say in court, what appeal to appeal, what appeal not to appeal. You come to teach me the laws. I would make myself the biggest fool, right? Same thing in medicine. If I come to a dentist that makes a root canal now, and I say to him, listen, you fool, move out. <laughs> this is the way I have to do it. You see, I'm holding it the upper seat. I have no idea what I'm talking about. So, excuse me, who are you? Are you a doctor? No. Did you go to school, dental school? No. So what are you giving me, preach, <laughs> preaching to me what to do? In any field, architect, you know how important it is where you put the, the pole in a house? You see these two poles? If you move them two feet to the left, this whole house will fall down. You have to know exactly where to put it. You have to calculate the ankles and exactly, and when you build bridges, and when you make sewer, and you have to know how, it's, how level from the street, how it's going to connect to outside. So many things to learn. Someone like me, what do I know about this? Did I ever had a blueprint in my life? Did I ever see how, how to even measure? Nothing. I come to the architect and say, listen, you fool. This is not how you design a house. So we got the point here. In any field, don't talk unless you're an expert. Especially don't talk in front of the expert. But somehow, every Jew is an expert against the Torah. Even though not one of them read the Torah once in his life. And you know, in order for you to know the Torah, you need to learn it at least a thousand times. It's not a simple book. Very, very deep and clever book. Very, very deep. You can see right away when you begin to learn it, your head explodes. You, go, you open one page in the Talmud, no matter how brilliant you are, you went to Harvard Law School. One hour you sit and you try to learn one page of Gemara, your head explodes. All the Harvard look like a joke compared to what they learn in Yeshiva. Looks like a joke. And I'm telling you from experience of lawyers that came to the Yeshiva and they said it. You don't have to believe me. People, there are some big lawyers that they became learners in Talmud, you know? So what, what's the point? You have the hardest learning, that you need the highest investment, many, many years of learning. Most Jews never read it even once in their life in a level of kindergarten. And every one of the Jews have speeches against the Torah. So the question is why? Why? I'm sure none of you ever wrote a book against medicine because you know you're not a doctor. You didn't write a book against architects because you know you're not an architect. Or against lawyers because you know you're not a lawyer. And many other things, no? But when it comes to Torah, I'm sure everything the rabbis say, you have a doubt. He doesn't know what he's talking about. 
It doesn't make sense. Prove it. How do I know? Everyone become an expert. So please explain to me what's going on here. Obviously, it's not logical what's happening here. It's not logical. So the question is why all Jews think that they're all rabbis? Almost all. Maybe there's some exception to the rule. But I'm talking to you from 21 years of experience. Why every man and every woman, they think they are big professor when it comes to Torah? Why is it? The answer is the fear from becoming religious. It's so great that a person would make himself the dumbest fool in order for him to prevent any connection with the instructions of the Torah. I rather make myself the dumbest fool in the street or in the whole world, as long as God forbid I won't have to dress modest on the street without my mini skirt. You'll take away my life. Or as long as I'm not going to be able to open my business on Shabbat. Wow, I'm going to lose $10,000 cash every, every week. Or as long as I don't have to be faithful. Or as long as I don't have to, to give donation. Or I mean, there's a whole list. Everyone is afraid of something. People develop such paranoia from religion, thinking it's the worst horrible thing, that they're willing to do everything they can to fight it. But in reality, if you ask people that used to be secular and they became very religious, take one by one, almost all of them, I, I, I say almost because I want to be careful, maybe one out of a thousand is not happy, but from experience I can tell you, they all will not go back to the way they used to be. They're very happy in the way. Very, very happy. So the question is, why everyone is afraid of it? And in reality, when people become religious, they're much, much, much happier in their life. Less depression, less stress, more faith, more happiness, better marriage, much better children, nothing to compare secular children to religious kids from a good yeshivot, nothing to compare. Excuse my language. It's like comparing people to somebody that is out of this world. It's nothing to compare. And I can tell you from experience, because a few times in the past, I invited families that have children that go to public school, and I saw how they talk to their parents, and what things they care about, and how they behave, and the way their hair is, and all kinds of other things that they do. Even, even I remember that about uh, 17 or 18 years ago, it was Sukkot, much like now, a week from now. I invited a very wealthy family. The father is a real estate tycoon. They live in a nice mansion in Long Island. Very respectful family. They're not from the garbage. You know, nice, fancy servants in a house. In the middle of the Kiddush of the Sukkot, the boy took a shoe and threw it in his father's face in front of all the guests. Do you understand? And this is a very, like they say in Israel, every time they catch kids that murder and rape and do all kinds of horrible things, they always write in Israeli newspaper, Bnei Tovim Nitfesu. People from wonderful families just got caught raping a girl, seven of them, eight of them. Bnei Tovim, drug dealer, Bnei Tovim, murderer, two people murder a taxi driver, Bnei Tovim, there's always Bnei Tovim. Somehow all the murderers are tovim and all the rapists are good. But in reality, without Torah, you can see the difference in the education with Torah and the education without Torah. And by the way, even in fake religion, fake religions, the kids are much better than secular Jews. Meaning, if you go to a church, to a Christian school, 
that they teach fake religion. There's no, there's no JC, there's no, it's not divine. Whatever they teach over there is a lot of baloney, but still the kids have much more discipline and manners than any other place. Same thing by Muslim, Muslim schools. The sad part in Muslim schools that they teach them to kill everyone that is not like them, and that's really the bad part over there. If they would leave the murder alone, and they just teach them what the Quran says otherwise, you would see that these kids have more discipline, more, more, more direction in life. When we see secular Jews in Israel, in America, there's no direction. They go to public school, they teach them they came from the monkey, everything almost is allowed, you're allowed to be gay, you're allowed to be lesbian, you're allowed this, you're allowed that, everything is allowed, there's no God, you can do whatever you want. And plus they teach them that education is the God, science is the God. If you're educated, you're a human being. If you're not educated, you're a second class citizen. Meaning someone who couldn't afford to pay $200,000 to go to Harvard is garbage. But someone that his father is a big crook from the bank who stole millions and he was able to write $300,000 check to the college is important. Why? Because his father was able to write a check and put him in a good university. But the other kids went to work and he's not a thief and he works very hard to make a living is is garbage. The entire society becoming totally rotten. The values of the world today is totally rotten. That's why the jails are exploding. Never in the history they had so many prisoners. They already thinking to change the law in America that they send all the white color prisoners home. They can't anymore afford to feed them, to, to make jails for them. They can't, they keep building jails. A prisoner costs $600 a day. They can't afford it, it kills the country. They never believe they're going to need for every 10 people in society, one of them to be a jail. You need more than a million policemen in this country, more than a million, to watch the rest of the people. It's not enough. You keep having more police cars, more police precincts, more court, more judges. Why? Almost everyone becomes a criminal. Why? People that live in life without God, without fear from heaven, everything is allowed as long as you don't get caught. Obviously, you see, look at the politics today, how it's all corrupted, all over the world. Every government in the world from day one until now, everyone is corrupted. Almost everyone gets caught with bribery, problems, murders, all kinds of illegal things that they do. Why? No fear from God, the world became a zoo. The Jewish nation, when they got the book from God, it was in a public event. No one can hide it. How do we know? Maybe someone faked it. So I bought you a few interesting CDs. One, it's called Torah and Science. It's proving 100% that you can never fake such an event. You cannot fool millions of people that God is speaking to a person and he say to them, did you hear me speaking to God? And all say yes. If they didn't hear God, how would they agree to receive a new religion when the religion speaks about them and everything it says about them, it's a lie, right? If I give you now a book, and I say to all of you, ladies, all of you heard me 10 minutes ago speaking to God, right? What would you say? Excuse me, you only hear 15 minutes. When exactly you spoke to God? Before the sushi or after? <laughs> when? And then you look at each other, it's not normal. Well, what do you mean spoke to God? Right? So then you would say, 
We didn't, and I said, no, no, trust me, here, God gave me this book. Read, read inside the book, and you open the book. I just took you from Japan and brought you to Brooklyn. You would say, excuse me, you hear the plane? It's still in the sky. We didn't land from Japan. Right? So you would say, excuse me, I've never been in Japan. What do you mean you brought me from Japan to Brooklyn? Anybody here been in Japan? No? So what is he talking about? It's supposed to be the book from God, no? What? God makes such lies? He said that we were all in Egypt, and he took us, took us out of Egypt, and he brought us here, and he gave us the Torah, and it's written in a book. Meaning, we are the ones who know what happened to us. He cannot fool us. You see, the only religion that was designed in such a clever way that nobody can deny it is Judaism. Why? Because when God gave us the Torah, he made us the actors in his movie. So no one, no one knows better than us what really happened to us in a movie, right? If you come to the actor and he knows what he acted in a movie, and you tell him this and this happened to you in a movie, right? Yes or no? If yes, then you know it's legit. If not, it's not from God, right? Make sense? So when the nation come and stand in front of Moshe, and Moshe said to them, all of you heard me speaking to God. It's enough that one Jew did not hear it. What would he answer? Excuse me, Moshe, you're a nice person. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm also standing here, and I didn't hear you speaking to God. And you say that God gave you this book, and God obviously doesn't make mistakes, right? Especially not foolish kindergarten mistakes. Over here it says that all of us heard God. We never heard God. So that's one film. It's called Torah and Science. Then I brought you another DVD. It's a debate that I had with the famous designer, Barami, women clothing. is very good at making women clothing when it comes to argument, is not as good, let's put it that way. You will see of someone who come to criticize the Torah, and excuse my language, made himself the dumbest fool on earth. Because even his friend that came with him to the debate, in the middle of the debate, told him, hey, be quiet, he got you. <laughs> he brought an assistant. In the middle of the debate, his assistant said to him, be quiet. <laughs> the rabbi got you. Why? Because he had no, none of the things he said made any sense. Why people that come to argue about the Torah, they love so much to argue about the age of the world? Look, they always argue about this. Evolution. We came from the monkeys. Do you really think that one of them believed that we came from the monkeys? If we came from the monkeys, how come there are still people? How come there are still monkeys, I'm sorry? All the monkeys should have been people. If the first person was a monkey, who made the first monkey? Do you know how sophisticated is the brain of a monkey? Million computers combined is not a brain of one monkey. Monkey is 99.3% the same DNA like a human being. The only difference between us and a monkey is the air. The monkey is a little bit bent down, and a person standing straight. We have long hair, and they have hair. And they have tail, we don't have tails. So there's a little bit difference over here. The muscles, they're much better than us. They jump better, they're stronger. And believe it or not, they're very intelligent. They have great memory. They tested them in the university. They told them, 
in a monkey, every time you hit the squares on a computer in the right order, you're going to get two peanuts. Check it. A research, study. The monkey remember better than the best students from the best universities. The monkey. One way or the other, whether the monkey is smart or is, is foolish, everybody understands that the brain that makes this machine moves and jump and eyes and nerve system, obviously it's a very, very sophisticated creation. So what is this stupid argument if a person was before the monkey or the monkey was before the person? The main question remains, who made the first cell, the first tiny cell that with a microscope it will take you a million years to design it. It's more sophisticated than this whole earth, one tiny cell. The plan of the DNA. So it's a very stupid argument. And when you start with a lie and foolish arguments, it only gets worse as we go. Watch it and you will see what I'm talking about. Then I brought you another CD when you board in a car, when you drive, and I had 30 hours of good lectures. Purpose of life, what does it mean Shabbat? What does it mean Yom Kippur? What does it mean Tshuva, repentance, modesty, family values? A lot of interesting things. You may not agree with everything you hear that I say now or in the CD, but it's no problem. I don't expect you to agree with everything I say. It would be a huge miracle if you did. Why? Because the same thing if I go to a special class in university to the highest level and I never learned anything in my life about this subject, many of the things that are going to say over there would look to me like Chinese. Do not make any sense. The only way to understand the logic is to know the entire picture. When certain things you're going to hear you disagree with or you don't understand, don't panic. It's okay, it's normal. No, Rome wasn't built in one day. It take, takes a hundred years to know one percent of Judaism, if you're a genius. A hundred years of learning non-stop without sleeping and eating. You won't even know one percent of the amount of knowledge that Judaism has. Just to give you an idea. The amount of books that were written in Judaism about Maimonides alone, the Rambam, is more than all the books that were written in Islam combined. Do you understand what I just told you now? There's tens of thousands of books that directly are on the Rambam or indirectly about the Rambam or his life or the things that he used to say and wrote and all commentaries about his books. And Rambam, how many years he lived? So many thousands of books are speaking just about one rabbi. And he's one of 100,000 giant hachamim that we had. Just imagine how big is, how big is the ocean of knowledge. It's, end, it's endless. Endless. So therefore, nobody expects from you to know even 1% of Judaism. We only expect a Jew to know the basics. And this is what we're here for. Rosh Hashanah, in case you didn't know, it's the creation of Adam. When Hashem created the world, six days later He created the first human being. He wasn't born from a woman. He was made directly by God, Adam Arishon, first Adam. And from his DNA, Hashem took a bone from his DNA, and from that He created his wife, Chava. Chava is an assistant to her husband, just like today. A woman was created in the world to help the men. It doesn't mean the woman is not important. It's very important in certain things, even more than a man. For instance, 
the most important thing in Judaism is the continuation of the family. Your children should also know Torah and your grandchildren. This is an obligation to raise them in the right direction. Who does all the job? The woman. Who raised the children? The mother. The father is here, either he's in work or in yeshiva. He's barely home. The mother is the one who's with them all the time. Even if she works and she comes home at three, four, five, she's still with them more than the father. So the responsibility of the continuation of Judaism is in the hand of the women. Plus, the Torah gives a lot of compliments to women. They have better wisdom than men. They catch things faster. They have a sixth sense that a man doesn't have it. They connect to Hashem in an emotional way, not only logical. People, men, they look at that logically. It's hard for them to move from emotion. But women, the emotion is very, very strong by them. So men and women is two different machines. Comparing between them, it's foolish to begin with. They're not supposed to be the same. A woman has her job in a creation, and a man has his job in a creation. And also in men, not every man has the same job. This general purpose, and there is individual purpose. For instance, a person has a very sharp brain. Nice look, sharp brain, good memory, very fast thinking. Then why did he get these skills? Because his job is to teach Torah, to be a rabbi, to make lectures, to present the Torah to the public. If you see a man that is very, very dumb, meaning his mind is blocked, he cannot think, his, his, his brain is very, very rusty, but he's very good with his hand. He can fix shoes, he can be a tailor, he can be a lot of things. Uh, but you can see right away his purpose is not to teach Gemara. He, he will learn one page, it will take him a year. So obviously you can see that this individual has one gift and he has a different gift. He is very good with his hands and he's very good with his head. Sometimes a person is very good with his brain, a genius, but he's unable to say one speech. He can't, he doesn't know how to put the words together. So why is it like this? Because his job is to write books, not to speak to the public. Sometimes a person is very good in speaking, but is not so great in writing and having ideas. What other people's ideas, he know how to express very well. Meaning, everyone has his purpose in life. One person can be a doctor, surgeon. I couldn't. If I cut a person and see blood comes out, I'll faint right away. Obviously, I cannot be a doctor. Some people, shh. No problem, blood is spritzing everywhere. <laughs> Lunch break. Why? He can do it. Same thing, Mohel. What's Mohel? It's also a doctor. It's a surgeon. Or a butcher. How many people can slaughter a cow? Did you ever see how it's been done? Some people, if you pay them a million dollar cash, they cannot do it. Some people, for free, they enjoy to do it. Rivers of blood on the floor, like this. The cow is moving like this. How are you not going to get a heart attack? Uh, but some people can do it. And it's not cruel people like you think. Some wonderful rabbis do it. So obviously in life, we can see that there are the general purpose and there are the individual purpose. And the individual purpose is designed based on our previous life and what's our mission in life. We continue from where we left meaning our soul, which is a divine energy, was in a different body, was transferred to a new body as we born. 
we look like very cute babies, but this baby that crawl on the floor is only one month old. You have no idea who he was. Maybe five years ago, there was a nice rabbi from across the street that passed away and came back to be this baby. Maybe it was Saddam Hussein. You don't know who this cute baby is. Now, God forbid, if something happened to this baby, everyone cry, where is the justice? Why God is doing such a thing? There's no justice. I'm tired with religion. And then imagine if God would come to you and say, excuse me, before you criticize me, let me show you who this cute baby with the, such a cute face, who he was five years ago. Then you see, it was uh, Adolf Eichmann, Hashem Irachim. And now he got a horrible death. Oh, wow, it's an easy punishment you gave him. Five minutes ago, he was claiming no justice. Why baby has to suffer? Five minutes later, he realized this baby was Eichmann. Oh, of course, they deserve it, of course. He killed, he killed my grandparents. Everything changed. Obviously, ignorance caused people to make horrible conclusions in life. I'll give you another example. When a woman walks in the street, very not modest. Very not modest, like today the world became. Did she ever dream that what she does is a huge crime? No. How would she think such a thing? She actually thinks it's very nice. Wow, everyone gives me attention. Everyone tells me how I look, how great I look. Wow, you know, I'm better than average. It makes her full of confidence. She's smiling, she's happy. Every day she changed the size and the, the color of the heels, right? She spent half of her life in shopping. She has what to show. One minute of education, if she would get, for a million dollars a day, she wouldn't agree to dress the way she dressed. One minute of education. If she only understand what's the purpose of a woman, how the modesty is important, the daughter of Hashem represents him in the world, we didn't come to the world to show our body like animals that they are naked. We are people, we are divine. Modesty is very important in the eyes of God. It's one of the main tests in the life of a woman. If a woman fails this test, it's horrible punishments, subject later on. If she would know that, here, it didn't even take me a minute. You're already having second thought, how to dress tomorrow morning. If I continue for another 10, 20 minutes, or you listen to my modesty lecture, Tonight, you dump all your designer clothes to the garbage. You wouldn't even put it on eBay for sale. Why? You'd be so disgusted. How did I do it to God? He gave me oxygen. He gave me help. He gave me beauty for my husband. And I disrespect him. I'm a mother of children. Look how I walk in the street. Look how the amigos look at me and who know what they think about me. You know, I'm a religious woman. I, I'm supposed to have class. What is this? Jose, Muhammad, Mustafa. They all look like this when she walks in the street. Instead of being embarrassed, she's happy. It's only, all you have to do is to make one switch in the mind for a woman to understand that it's not honor to get compliments that animals have for free nature. It's not a compliment for human beings. We are not animals. For instance, Man is very happy that he became the best swimmer in the world. Gold medal he won in the Olympic Games. Why? He swims very good. Take a little fish. You know those goldfish? 50 cents each. Throw him to the pool. Right away, he's much faster. So what is he so impressed, the man that is able to swim? That's his job in life? 40 years, killing himself. Baruch Hashem is able to swim. 
But it's, if you think about it, it's so stupid. But that's the way the world is. I give you an example. People sometimes don't use their head. They just, it's called effecta eder, the cattle effect. All the sheep goes to one direction, so the other goat also goes. Nobody used to think. I, one time I gave a lecture in a place, and I said to the men, excuse me, I want to ask you a question. It doesn't kill you that you sit on the beach with your wife and 10,000 men with a dirty mind passing by and thinking things about your wife, the mother of your children? Do you know if I would play to you what they think when they walk by, you know you would kill yourself. You would kill them. You wouldn't be able to sit like this and eat your watermelon with your growing belly. They would kill you. This amigo just walked and he looked at your wife and who knows what he's thinking about her. He would kill you if you know what he's thinking. How do you allow such thing? What do you want? Everyone does it, he says. I said, let me ask you a question. If you have a birthday party and you, you invite all your friends, all your friends from the office, from here, from there, from the army, they're all here now. And your wife would come from the bedroom with a cream cake with a bikini in front of all your friends, in the living room, with their high heels like this. Would you agree? You see, crazy, this was an angry guy. I would throw her from the window, like this. I said to him, I don't get it. What's the difference if she wear bathing suit here and if she wear it a little bit there? Does it make a difference? You know what, I never thought of it. Nobody thinks. Nobody used their head to think what's right and what's wrong. People got used to something, and they don't stop to think, maybe my whole life is a mistake. Maybe mistake has a price to pay in the end. Maybe. It's all maybe. I can prove it to you in 10 minutes. There's no maybe by me. By me, it's 100% clear, if you know me a little bit. Any question you want, I'll prove it to you in minutes. You know, and I argue with very, very serious big shots, not uh, guys from the street. Professor, evolution professor, the controller of New York State, a Christian priest, all kinds of other atheists. I did some debates with some what called big shots. It's very easy to prove, very easy. So the idea is, I'm only speaking to you, maybe there is a possibility that I'm going to pay the price for not keeping Shabbat. Maybe there is a possibility that I'm going to get punishment for not eating kosher. Maybe there's a possibility that I really will have to pay for all the men who looks at me and think dirty things. I'm going to have to pay for each one of them, like the rabbi claim. Maybe, 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 there's 5,000 maybes. It's enough that one of them will turn into reality and my life is a mess. What? Look what I'm doing. So ignorance is the biggest enemy of the human being. Somebody ever asked you, what's your biggest nightmare? I'll tell you what's your biggest nightmare. One, cancer. Everybody is living with this fear because they keep hearing it nonstop. Every 10 minutes, I hear another case. Of course, it's going to put pressure. Nonstop. This one, this uncle, this neighbor, this one. Oh, wow, so many people. It's an epidemic. When is my turn? People think in the back of their mind. A woman check herself, oh, something is fishy here. <laughs> One out of eight, breast cancer. I do a doctor, make me an appointment. We book for two months. Wow, two months, she doesn't sleep at night. Wow, maybe I'm next. Wow, my aunt did it, this one. People live in panic. So cancer is a big fear. Second, poverty. 
a fancy lady gets into a nice car with a Gucci bag, going in a mall. Imagine you come and say to her, you have one more day to enjoy like this. Tomorrow you're becoming a homeless. We'll put you in a shelter with all the ladies that eat from the garbage, with your nice $5,000 suit. You're going to live with them. They're going to make you a tent. You sleep over there. They'll make fire in the garbage with your beautiful fake nails over there with your heels. You're going to stand over there on the street with all the homeless people and warm up by the thing. She said, you know what? Kill me right now. I don't, I'm going to kill myself. You don't kill me. Right? It's a very big fear to be poor. I live in a nice place, and now you're going to put me in a dump. So that's a very big fear. Another fear, has v'shalom, to lose a child or something. You raise him this, and God forbid something. There's a lot of, wow, if something, I'd rather die than to see such a thing. So we have a lot of fears in life. Bankruptcy, divorce. One guy, is his biggest nightmare that his wife will cheat on him because he's not as handsome as he used to be. Or she thinks like this. You know, everyone is something that they develop a paranoia from. Even if you have nothing to fear, you will find what to fear, I promise you. Because a person cannot live without fear in his life. Only when it comes to religion, fear is illegal. Fear is illegal in religion. In, every, in medicine, fear is a very, very strong factor. In business, fear in stock market. Fear is a very big factor. In driving on a road, fear is a very, very strong factor. Everything in life, partnership, fear. Marriage, fear. Raising children, fear. Letting the children go on the street, fear. Driving an ocean parkway, camera everywhere, fear. <laughs> right? IRS, fear. Customer walk in, fear. Maybe you won't buy. Maybe I will say I will say word that will get the client to leave. Maybe my partner is doing something. Fear, it's constant. There's not one minute without fear in life. But when it comes to religion, Rabbi, you're too scary. Can you talk something else, please? <laughs> One time, they invited me to Fairlawn, New Jersey. Lo alechem, no lo alenu. The woman over there was sitting Shiva on her father. A religious woman, Baalat Shuvah, and her husband. So I walked there. So they told me it's going to be 150 chilonim. 150 chilonim. It's an opportunity in one night. Give some CDs, give them a lecture. 10, 20 of them will become religious. It's very good. I went over there. They met 150 chilonim, maybe even more. The house is packed. And now she said, please, everyone sit. The rabbi will speak 45 minutes for the memory of my father. Everybody gave respect. They put yamaka. They sat. I was sitting here. And next to me, there was a guy, Israeli guy with ponytail and leather jacket. And next to him, big guy like this. They all put yamakas And they sat like this in a circle and some, you know, in the middle. So I began to talk about the difference between Judaism to the fake religions. Just like I started here today. So one, this guy with a ponytail in Hebrew. The whole speech was in Hebrew there, because they're all Israelis. He said to me, Tachlif no se. Change the subject. <laughs> so I'm looking at this guy with a ponytail. I said, I'm going to show you change the subject. <laughs> I went even harder. <laughs> And he said, <laughs> I told you, change the subject. I said, what, this guy is going to decide what I'm talking about? I go full force. I see in his face, he goes like this, change the subject. 
Then all of a sudden, a guy next to him got up. Big guy. He got up, took the yamaka off. He said, I have to leave. In Hebrew, I got him maybe too scared. I Another 10 minutes here, I become religious, they'll kill me in my village. I looked at him. He said, I I'm a Druze, Arab Druze. Druze, they speak Hebrew like Israelis. Go up together, they even go to the army. Ani Druzi. Im ani po. If I'll stay another ten minutes, I will convert to Judaism. My father will kill me. So one guy said to him, "So what's what's the problem? So you convert to Judaism? So you crazy? My whole village will kill me. I won't be able to go back." Then he looked at the guy with the ponytail. <laughs> and look how Hashem turned it from 150 people. He looked at him and he said to him, "Tell the rabbi where are you going from here." <laughs> the guy with the, tell him, tell him, shame on you, you have such a religion, and none of you are religious, shame on you. And he left in the middle. Chavad, <laughs> that he wasn't recorded. There would be a billion hit on YouTube, such a thing. <laughs> so the guy said to him, I told you, change the subject. <laughs> now I understood why I changed the subject. Why we have a goy there? <laughs> so let's go back. Rosh Hashanah, unfortunately, most of the Jews don't know. What do they don't know? Uh, A, they don't know that it's the birthday of Adam, number one. They don't know that since it's the birthday of Adam, God made it the judgment day for all the people in the world. Seven and a half billion people, everyone judge how your next year is going to be. Healthy or not? Wealthy or not? Children or not? Marriage or not? Divorce or not? aggravation or not, jail or not. There's so many possibilities in life. Everything is decided on Rosh Hashanah. That's most, most Jews don't know it. For the Israelis, Rosh Hashanah is going to Tiberias, putting some fish on a grill. With his shirt, no shirt, eating seeds, playing sheshbesh, playing cards. That's Rosh Hashanah. Like they go in, cold beer, Baruch Hashem, everyone is happy. No, let's swim a little bit in a kineret. He has no idea, this Israeli guy or girl, that right this minute, God is judging them and it will affect their eternity. Them, their children, everyone is affected based on the judgment day. They have no idea. If a person has a trial in a criminal court in Manhattan, and he's subject to death penalty or to years in prison or to millions of dollars of fine, and he wasn't even notified that he has a trial. Does he have a chance to prepare for the trial when he doesn't even know the date of the trial, that he has a trial? Does he have a chance to pass? How is he going to pass? He is now swimming in a pool, when in Manhattan they decided that he's going to get a death penalty, and he's swimming and getting a 10. He doesn't even know today is his trial. How is he going to pass the trial? If he knew a year in advance, he takes the best lawyer, he gives donation, he gets references, he prepares, he brings all kinds of good witnesses, maybe he has a chance to get saved. But if he doesn't even know it's his trial, how exactly is going to pass? Okay? So ignorance is very, very critical. Then comes the next thing that people do not know. They don't know that even though Rosh Hashanah is the judgment day, it's not a final verdict. 
God gave 10 days pending. The case is pending for 10 days. Righteous people, they don't need 10 days. They right away, righteous, righteous, no problem. But us, we're not exactly, you know, big rabbanim. So we have a 10 days period to fix things. It's called Aseret Yemei Tshuva, which ends in Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, it's a day, it's an annual day for repentance. People, it's only for the Jewish nation, doesn't apply to Goim. Believe it or not, I show you how many hundreds of emails I have from Goim begging me to teach them what to do in Yom Kippur, to fast. They also what to pray. Goim, how much should I pray on Yom Kippur? What should I pray on Rosh Hashanah? I say, no, it's a Jewish thing, it's not for you. No, but I want to do it. You understand? No, just pray in your own language and tell God to forgive you for your sins and you're good. You don't have all these things, but it's a gift for the Jewish nation. It's an opportunity to purify the neshama. That's Yom Kippur. But Yom Kippur, you can only purify your soul if you make repentance. If you continue to make sins, no donations, no, no keeping Shabbat, no eating kosher, all day gossip, all they hurting people, all they cheating and lying and stealing and uh, cursing and who knows what else. And the way you dress and the way you conduct your business and how you fool your customer and who knows how many things you do. And you write bad things about people on the internet and destroys their life, destroy their marriage, destroy their mood. So many crimes that a person makes every day of his life. Most of them, by the way, people are not aware because I promise you, if you take the secular Israelis that write tons of bad things about each other on the media, if you take them one time and show them the results of their action for one hour, look what happened to this person after you made the comments. Look at the fight he had with his wife. Look at the children now, how they left without a father. Look how he was kicked out of home. Look how the family broke. Look what you achieve by writing 10 words in the internet against this person, about something that you knew that other didn't know. If a person would see it, say, wow, God, oh God, forgive me, I didn't have intention to kill him like this. You know, it was just juicy. You know, it was entertaining. Entertaining. It's always entertaining when it's not your blood. If it's someone's blood, very nice. It's tomato sauce. Once it's my own blood, oh, it's very, very bad blood. Someone else, don't worry, enjoy. I once say, in Yad Vashem, they have a museum. I'm sure you went there, no? When a person walks in, unfortunately, there are, when I was a kid in school, they took us there. And there are pictures of naked women in Yad Vashem, that the Nazis took them naked, the moment before they killed them. I said, back then I wasn't smart to think. Today I'm thinking. I was thinking to myself, the person that designed this museum is such a menuval. If it would be his mother, would he put his naked picture a minute before they burn her like this for the whole world to see her naked? Would he put his own mother? What do you think? Jew, non-Jew, doesn't matter. Would he put his own grandmother and his mother and his sister like this? He would make sure not to put it over there. But why he put other women? Why do I care? As long as it's not me. This is where you need the Torah to teach you how severe is the actions. 
and actions have consequences. There's a price to pay. If you go to a restaurant, when I was in Miami Beach, I came out of the speech Friday night. I started to walk. I saw a club there, maybe 10 Rolls Royce standing online on both sides of the streets. And I look at this club. We walk, me and a group of people, I don't know, 15 people around me. And I look at the place, and I look at all these Bentleys over there. I say, what's over here? So one Bukharian guy, back then he used to have a ponytail. Now Baruch Hashem became religious. He said to me, it's a very fancy club. All the movie stars, all the singers come here. So I said, oh, I understand now. So he said to me, you want to hear what happened to me over here? He said, yes. He said, one time I went out on a date with a girl. And I didn't know, I mean, I live here, I didn't know that it's, what this place is. I saw a nice place, I, went, I walked in, I sit, they, they give us the menu, and the wine menu. They give us the wine menu, I look at the menu, wow, maybe I don't see good. The cheapest bottle, $20,000. The cheapest wine bottle, $20,000. <laughs> he said, I got lucky. The girl that came out with me when she saw the prices, she said, I think we came to the wrong place. It's not for us, this place. Imagine now if she would say, oh, wow, there's such great wines here. <laughs> <laughs> the embarrassment is worse than losing money. Some people would lose the $20,000 not to look cheap in a first date. <laughs> right or wrong? One time I, I had a guy in a yeshiva, I saw, he puts a tie and a jacket, he dressed like Shabbat. I said to him, what's the occasion? Five, four or five in the afternoon. He said, I have a date in Brooklyn. We live in Muncie, Brooklyn, two hours ride. He said, I have a date tonight in Brooklyn. I said, oh yeah, how are you gonna get there? He said, I take the bus. There's a bus from Muncie to Brooklyn. I said to him, and where are you gonna go? He said, I go to a restaurant. So you have money? So yeah, the rabbi gave me. I said, how much you have? He said, $100. It's enough, back and forth, plus the restaurant, I'm good. I asked him, tell me, this is how it works? Everyone who wants to go on a date now for marriage, he comes to the rabbi and he gives him money? He said, well, if you don't have money, how are you gonna go on a date? I asked him, tell me, let me ask you a question. Poor guy, he fell on me. <laughs> I, said, I said to him, tell me, when you got the $100 from the rabbi, how did you feel? What an embarrassment, the bushot. Big busha, big embarrassment. I said to him, what happened if I would bring an ATM machine to the yeshiva? An ATM machine that has two arms on the side. You put your head inside. The two arms grab your ears like this. And a third arm with a boxing glove, boom, gives you a punch in your forehead. You fall on the floor, and $100 falls for the punch. And a hundred dollars. Next time on your next day, would you go to the rabbi to get a hundred dollars without a punch? Or you go to my machine? And so of course the machine. So I just proved to you that the shame, which is a spiritual punishment, is worse than any physical punishment. Person willing to suffer a weak pain in a hospital, then not one minute on television that they see him in hidden rooms of something not so nice that he did. Let me suffer all week in a hospital, get it over with, that nobody see what I just did or said. But over there, everything will be heard. King Solomon wrote, Sof davar akol nishma et ha'elokim yera ve'et mitzvotav shmor ki ze kol adam. 
in the end you cannot hide from Hashem. In the end, God sees everything, He records everything, everything will be displayed, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, that's what would happen. So now we have two possibilities here. One, to ignore it and play dumb, and then face the consequences in the end, which could be horrible results. Or the second one is let's start fixing now. We won't be perfect. I'm already telling you, we won't be perfect. And maybe God doesn't even expect us to be perfect. He knows where we come from. He knows where we grew up. There's some people here grew up in Russia. They may even have an extra discount than some who grew up in Israel, you know, or in Syria. There's a difference, fine. But the basics, the basics. What's the basics for women? To keep Shabbat, to eat kosher. It's very simple. Every, every restaurant today is kosher almost. So, supermarket, 99% of the things, have OU, OK, Kafke, almost everything is kosher. Too. Almost everything. Almost. To dress modest. Dressed skirt, but not too short. A little bit longer than below the knee. Instead of above the knee, below the knee. Is that the end of the world? You're going to be depressed? <laughs> if no one would see your knees when you sit, is it going to make you depressed? Worse comes to worse, you use Prozac. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> if that's what would save you from the punishment. So it's not the end of the world. Shabbat, what Shabbat? You light candle, you cook delicious food, you invite friends, family, the kids dress, nice ties. Mamash like Leila Seder. How the Chilonim enjoy Leila Seder? They're excited. They all put gel in the hair like this. We have it every week. You walk a few steps to the shul, you come in, nice air condition, you come here, all the friends, shalom, Shabbat shalom, the Moroccan, mwah, 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 the Russian, like this. But, you know, friendly, brotherhood, then the rabbi gives a speech, then there's somebody singing nice, you know, you enjoy the prayer, then you come home, you eat, you get stuffed, then you snore for a few hours, then you come again to shul, you put a new outfit now, you know. There's a reason now, Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of entertainment. So you come, and then there's Kiddush, and then there's Bar Mitzvah, and then you meet more friends, and, and much better people, and your kids have much better friends, because they're all religious, they have more values. And then, you know, you go to sleep for a few hours, you rest from all the week, from the, from the stress, from the phones, from the traffic, from the non-stop violence that people watch on television, it cleans the mind. Which city in the world has less heart attacks than any other city in the entire world? Which city? Not Jerusalem. You know why? It has 42% Arabs. So which one? Bnei Brak. Why Bnei Brak? 99.8% of the people religious. Everyone Shomer Shabbat. 90% of the people there extremely poor. Barely make a living. They all have huge bills on their supermarket here and over there, and they get loans from the Gmach, and some people give them charity. And technically, with the amount of stress that they have to raise nine children in a tiny bedroom, that five of them sleep in a living room, right? The size of the bathroom in this neighborhood is bigger than their entire apartment. So they raise, imagine you have to raise nine children in a bathroom here. It's a little bit stressful, no? 
And when you, you don't know if to, if to make them omelet with one egg or two, so you never had such a challenge, no? So obviously life over there should have been a little bit more challenging. They have less stress, less heart attack than any other city in the world. No other city in the world has low heart attacks like Bnei Brak. Why? Torah. The Torah revived the person, brings him happiness, real happiness, not fake happiness. One time I went to a Shabbaton somewhere in Florida, in a very fancy place, and I was eating by a very rich man, very, very rich man. And this rich man did not stop smiling. He was 10, looked good, you know, he has a younger wife, much younger than him. Very, very successful in business. And the smile does not leave his face one second. Not one second. I say, wow, did I find the first wealthy man that is also happy? Never happened before. So I'm following him. Then I couldn't hold my, I said to him, you know what? I'm impressed by you. You're the first one that's happy, non-stop, don't have these problems. He was ignoring my compliment. I gave him another compliment later on. He was also smiling, you know. Then the next day, there was another rabbi there in the shul. I said to him, you know what? First time I see a rich man that is so happy from his life, you know. He looks at me and says, you fool. He lives on heavy medication. All the medication makes him happy. You know the medication that they give the widows um, an hour after the husband just died in an accident, Lo Alenu? And they smile and they're happy. How are you? It's so nice to see you. What happened when my uncle passed away, he was 80. My aunt was 72, 3, 4, something like that. I called to say that, you know, we're sorry for what happened. Oh, you're <laughs> When are you coming? You know? Right away, I realized something is not right. Then her daughter came. I said, well, your mother, what's going on? She said, ah, they gave her medication. She doesn't feel it. Medication can play with the mind. But, you know, it's a, it's a fake. Before we finish, let's just conclude what we left open. Between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's an opportunity to fix. How do you fix? Now the Torah gave a list, how do you fix? One, first step. Remember, you can watch the video later on. Tomorrow it will be online on my website, divineinformation.com. And then you can make a list tomorrow. You can go over it. First step, to leave the sin. You speak bad about people, no more. You steal, no more. You eat not kosher, no more. You break Shabbat, let's work on it to stop. Whatever you know you do wrong, you begin to stop it. Sec first step, to stop with the sin. Second step, to regret that you committed those sins. I wish I knew, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to be ungrateful to you. You give me oxygen, I use it against you. You give me money, I use it against you. You give me health, I use it against you. You gave me children, I did bad things with them against you. You gave me a family, I do it against you. I wish I knew it, forgive me, help me out. No, that's already shown that you regret. Very nice. Third step, to be ashamed. It's one thing to, be, to regret. Sometimes you regret that you did it, but you're not ashamed. You have to be ashamed. How did I do such thing?
How did I even dress like this? How did I even did such thing on Shabbat? How did I go to work like a non-Jew? Ma, I'm a Jew. How did I go to work on Yom Kippur, on Shabbat, like business as usual? How was I eating chametz and Pesach? It symbolized that Hashem took us out of Egypt to freedom, and we spit like this in his face? How did I try to save $10 a day on kosher food because it's a little bit cheaper, not kosher, when God gave me millions? Isn't it a, a foolishness? How do I behave like this? So that's called to be ashamed. So that's the third step, to be ashamed. The fourth step is when we pray, women have to pray once a day. Discount, not three times a day. One, it's enough. And you don't have to pray for hours. Even 10, 15 minutes a day, it's good. But in the morning, they say, Birkot HaShachar, the blessing of the morning, two minutes. Then they say, Shema, another two minutes. Then they pray, Shema four or five minutes. How much is together? Eight minutes. After Shema Vidui. Chatanu, Ana Hashem, right? Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu. There's a list of about 40 sins that a person does in a, routinely. You know, it takes 30 seconds. If you do it with a broken heart, one minute. So how many minutes? Nine minutes. Finish the vidui, alenu leshabeach another minute, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. If you're a slow reader, 15 minutes. You have 24 hours of life. You don't want to dedicate 15 minutes to communicate with your creator, with your father in heaven. Even Goime does more. Fatma does much more. Christine does much more. Go to Russia in a church. Go inside the church, see the nuns, how many hours a day they pray to JC, JC Penny. <laughs> Maybe it will save them. You understand? Someone who is a big doubt if he ever existed. But we that have the real God and the real Torah, God, I'm very busy. Rabbi, you know, I, I love to retail him. Don't get me wrong. I'm just a very busy woman. Put one day a candy camera in her kitchen and see how three hours a day she wastes on nonsense. How was the wedding yesterday? <laughs> what did she wear? What Nicole wore? Oh, she came with the same gown? I'm surprised. I have to give her a call, you know? And how is this? Oh, she came with a different wig. Wow, amazing. Finally, I told her. What is this? Nothing, nothing, get nothing from this conversation. But fine, women enjoy to talk. That's the Gemara say. Nine and a half from the ten women took, half they left for the men. <laughs> Did you ever see a conversation between a typical wife to a typical husband? Itzik, how is your day work? Okay. What's with this? The customer that when I was there, he came back. This, that. And what about this? And what about that? Where are we coming? Where are we going to go to vacation? I check a few hotels. What do you want? You prefer over here? Whatever. <laughs> Speak three hours, five words, he answered. Just do something and be quiet. Women and men, complete different. You know how one person made a nice picture on the internet. He said, men and women, you know on an electric board, you have a lot of switches. Laundry room, kitchen, air condition. You know all the switches? So all the switches in the house, many, many switches, he, put, he, he took a board, he cut it by half. All the switches in the bottom, he wrote on the top, woman. And on the top, one switch, men. <laughs> the main switch. 
give the money, then she can do all of this. <laughs> you understand? So, bottom line, to regret, to ashamed, to be ashamed, and to do confession at least once a day. I regret, I'm sorry, I'm ashamed. Okay, fine. So we have five steps. Not such a big deal. What's the sixth, the, the sixth step? The sixth step is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, you need to have at least one Yom Kippur to pass to clear all the sins from the file. Why? If a person dies and the sins are in his file, it is in a very serious problem. Very serious. Yom Kippur comes, like a shovel, clean everything. But some sins, even Yom Kippur does not delete. You know these annoying viruses in a computer after you run the virus and this and that, they still stay there? They're not affecting you so much, but they're still there. You cannot delete it. doesn't let you delete it. Which are those sins? There are 36 sins in the Torah that the Torah says that a person that commits it, his soul will be cut from the life of eternity when he dies. It's called Israel. I, God, will cut the soul of this individual when he dies and will not allow him to go to his place in the eternal world. That's called karet, v'nichreta. For those who understand Hebrew, v'nichreta anefeshai. Let me give you a few examples of which sins are karet. One, breaking Shabbat, driving the car on Shabbat, lighting a cigarette, turning light bulbs on, electric. That's Shabbat. Second, eating chametz and Pesach. We in America, we have eight days. Eight days, we're not allowed to eat five kinds of grains. No barley, no oat, no spelt, no rye, no wheat. None of this. No beer, no, coni, uh, no whiskey, no uh, you know, all kinds of wheat vinegar. Everything, spaghetti, cookies, everything that has one of the five kinds of grains. Rice, it's okay. It's not... Chametz, even though the Ashkenazim are extra strict with that, but it's not Chametz. If Ashkenazi ate rice and Pesach, it's not Karet, because rice is not Chametz. But the five kinds of grains, if a person eats it on Passover, it's also Isur Karet. It's a very serious crime. Even one bite from a pizza on Pesach, horrible crime. And by the way, crimes... According to the Torah, it's not always what the common sense of the human being understands. For instance, most of the Jews, if you tell them that to break Shabbat is a bigger crime than murder, they laugh at you. Crazy? You're comparing me to a murderer? This Muhammad who chop heads every day, and I just drive my car on Shabbat? I go to shul with a car. You say that in the eyes of God I'm worse than him? Obviously no human being can understand such a thing, but it's written clearly. Mechalel Shabbat has a much bigger punishment than a murderer. And it's mentioned more times in the Torah. And someone that breaks Shabbat according to Judaism is not counted as a Jew. He's excluded from Judaism until he will repent and start keeping Shabbat. He doesn't need to convert because his mother was Jewish. But as long as he breaks Shabbat, if he dies, he cannot even be buried in a Jewish cemetery. They have to bury him from the other side of the fence. Why? Breaking Shabbat is the worst violation. It breaks the covenant between us and God for eternity. 
That's what we say when we do Kiddush. We read a part from the Torah. V'shamru b'nei Yisrael et ha-Shabbat, la'asot et ha-Shabbat le'dorotam b'rit olam. Be'ni u'ven b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. And the nation of Israel observed the Sabbath to make the Sabbath an eternal covenant between me, who is me, God is speaking. It's written in the Torah. Between me and the nation of Israel, it's a sign for eternity that I created the world in six days and in a seven day I striked. Therefore, right after that he say, every Jew that will break this covenant, the Shabbat, his soul will be cut from the next world for permanently, God forbid, God forbid. And she'd be put to death by the Jewish Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish court, that we don't have it today. Thank God we don't have it. Imagine if we had Sanhedrin today. Have to execute people every minute, because they don't break Shabbat. But then nobody would, would break Shabbat. After they see one or two executions, everyone will become a rabbi, unfortunately. People understand the hard way. So this is an example of Shabbat. It's a, it's a cut for the soul. Eating chametz, cut for the soul. Eating on Yom Kippur, cut for the soul. Again, uh, there are few other sins in the Torah. For instance, going up to the mosque where the Beta Mikdash used to be, going inside, it's also karet. Why? A Jew is not allowed to go into the property of Beta Mikdash. Only Kohanim can go there. And the Kohanim, only when they're pure. Not like today, if they touch a dead body or they stood by the cemetery, they cannot go there. They have to first get purified with the ashes of a red cow. There's a lot of laws. So here is another example. So there are a list of 36 crimes. Many of them are sex crimes. That it's also correct for the soul. Homosexuality is one of them. Having relation with animals, it's another one of them. So there's a list of 36 restrictions in the Torah from 613 laws. 36 of them, it's a separate league. If you mess with those 36, you're in a very, very deep problem. Very, very deep and huge. So how does a person fix it? Even Yom Kippur does not fix it fully. It helps a lot. A person must receive suffering. Must receive suffering. Money losses, sicknesses, marriage issue, problem with raising children, problem with the government, problem with the police. Lots of problems. That's why you see a lot of people that became religious, God pays them in this world because he purified them, cleaned them from all their previous sins. When they die, they don't have to go to hell to gain home. They don't have to be clean later on. They're already clean here, which is a piece of cake compared to later on. And they send the soul to heaven and they're done. They don't have to be reincarnated again, finished. However, if a person is only making sins, no repentance, no regret, no shame, no nothing, then God pay him in this world for the few good things that he did, put mezuzah, that's already a big mitzvah, eat matzah in Pesach, mitzvah. He put filin for his bar mitzvah for the pictures. It's also mitzvah, you know. Once a year he bought his wife a nice perfume with a rose. Mitzvah, it's shlom bayit, it's mitzvah. So a person makes some mitzvot, even chiloni, secular, he does mitzvot. Even a person marry Goya, which is a very, very big crime against Hashem. And mamash betrayed God that he told the Jews that they don't have permission to mix with any other nation. No permission. So he lives with a non-Jewish woman. His children are not Jewish, according to the law of the Torah. But he has mezuzah. 
Mezuzah. You, you have people like this. Or eat kosher in the house. Even though Christine, she's, well, she's not Jewish, she prayed to Yoshke. But she keep the house kosher. Why? Because her Yemenite Israel is very makpid in kosher. Married to Christine, but God forbid he won't be halav Israel. Understand the priorities in his life. We have things like this. What can you do? How many non-religious women light candles 20 years when they have no intention ever to keep Shabbat? And I wonder, what's the point of lighting candles? Lighting candles is a declaration. Dear God, I'm accepting the covenant, the holiness of your Sabbath. A minute later, she gets in the car and drives. So how was your day? What? Just two minutes ago, you say, um, oh God, bless my husband. One million here, it's not enough. We have to marry the children. We need three million. Goes like this, mini skirt, all her legs out, everything open, everything open, everything clear, everything tight. Her hair is like this. Dear God, what dear God? The Torah says if you're not dressed modest, God cannot come to your place. You cannot come to a place of no modesty. God, why I'm so sick? Help me out. The rabbi said that if I put mint leaves on my head and I put this in my shoes, I will, I will work out. The things that I've seen in 21 years, I can write not one book, 15 different books, just from the nonsense around. So I'm telling you to finish. We have 48 hours to Yom Kippur. You want to save your ear? Not only money. Money is not everything in life. Hitler also had a lot of money. Saddam Hussein, Assad has a lot of money. Gaddafi had $200 billion. Mubarak had $70 billion. Should I continue? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of murderers have millions and billions. A lot of righteous people barely pay the bills. Wealth is not an indication if you're good or bad or God loves you or hates you. We've seen righteous people rich. We see wicked people rich. We've seen righteous people poor. We see righteous people uh, rich. So it can be both ways. However, most important thing, how are we going to live this world? Are we going to live this world faithful, daughters of Hashem, with modesty, with class, eating kosher, keeping the holidays as it should, keeping Shabbat, being a faithful wife, being a devoted mother, sending the kids to good school, to yeshivot, help, you know, bringing them into the right direction. That's our mission in life. Or are we going to be a Barbie doll? Nothing else besides nonsense in her head. Makeup and this and this and botox and this gluing twice a week she glue nails and then she takes it down You know in the Torah it's written that when a woman grow nails, it's ugly Who whose opinion is this God the one who made you nails? He wrote in the Torah a woman that wants to be ugly should grow nails. Where does it say it in the Torah? Who knows which parasha? Huh? Parashat ki tetze. Ki tetze la milchama. You go to a war and you saw Christine going like this to you. You soldier. Christine, she's a prisoner. They put her in a cage. She see an Israeli soldier. Hi, Itzik. She goes like this. Get me out of here. I'll be the best girlfriend for you. You say to, to the rabbi, rabbi. Can I get her? What do, you, what do you have to do with her? I want to take her home. I want to marry her. The Torah allowed. The desire the Goya. 
So the Torah says you can take a room, she has to shave her head to become bald. You make her wear ugly clothes. You make her grow her nails. And you make her cry that she will never see her parents because there was no Skype back then. <laughs> Once you took her to another country, her parents will never see her again. After a month that she cries, we know when a woman cries non-stop, her eyes, it's not exactly as it was before. It's not exactly so pretty with this ugly dress and the nails became like a witch and all these things. And now he doesn't want her anymore. That's the whole purpose of the Torah, to bring his desire down. If he still wants to marry her, he converts her and marry her. And the Torah say his punishment would be that his children will be wild beasts. They'll drink his blood with a straw. That's what would be his end. Why? But the Torah permitted it. Yeah, the Torah knew with or without it, you're going to do it. You want her, you're going to do the same. However, I want you to know what the price would be. Do it. I'm not going to punish you for marrying her, because she converted. But prepare for what kind of children you're going to have. So why did I tell you this old story now? Because God is a little bit smarter than the designers today, no? from Paris and this and all of those. So he knows a little bit better what beauty is. And if he say a woman is pretty with short nails, that's it. You think that you know better than him what's in fashion? The same thing, the high heels. I never understood why a woman suffers so much with these two pencils like this, <laughs> the Twin Towers. How much she suffer all day, back pain, her legs like this all day, what? that Muhammad would look at her when she walked. What for? And especially those tall women, sometimes women are, you know, like six, six something feet. Uh, you expect them to try to bend down a little bit, not to be too tall. The highest heels. <laughs> Maybe the midget, it's fine, they want to look high. <laughs> but why is so tall? She's already banging the ceiling when she walks. She has the highest ceiling, why? The Satan doesn't give, a, doesn't give a rest. You may think that modesty is only by the pretty women. No, no, no. Every woman has this desire. Even women that they doesn't have what to show, they fall into this trap. Sometimes you find a very pretty woman, but she's very modest. She grew up modest. She doesn't ever consider to walk like some ladies walks in the street. And sometimes women have nothing to show about themselves, but they make sure that everywhere they go, everyone notices them. Why? No logic. There's no logic here. You know, there's one girl, she's a daughter of my friend. A religious family. She was born religious, kept all the mitzvot. Pretty, classy, modest, very rich. All the skills that a woman needs, she has. She goes out on a date with a guy. He called himself Bachur Yeshiva. They go out three dates. Everything looks good. After three dates, he broke the Shiduch. Baruch Hashem, thank God for her. She got an angel instead of this guy. But the question is, why did he break the Shiduch? Guess. One guess. He refused to marry her. Why? Because in him dating, he told her, are you going to wear high heels? She said, absolutely not. It's not modest. A classy Jewish woman don't dress like this. He broke the shiduch. You believe such thing? This is to show you how low is the generation today. 
50 years ago, if you come to someone who learns Torah and tell him the wife will not wear high heels, ah, Baruch Hashem, normal, Baruch Hashem, thank you. I'm happy to hear. Today, the opposite. Today, when a woman wants to dress mothers, their husband forced them to dress tight and above the knees. Some women come to me and say, how am I going to dress mothers? Look at my husband, all day in the gym. <sighs> Gorilla, Tarzan, all day in the gym. How do you expect me to walk like a rabbit when look at him, how he walks, how he dresses? You understand? Sometimes the other way around. Why you don't put kippah? Look at my wife, how she dresses. I'm going to walk with a kippah, it's Hilul Hashem. At least now they think we go in. Ah, Peter kippah, they look at her. <laughs> the women have excuses for everything. Now, 48 hours before Yom Kippur, take advantage on it. Just to go to shul and listen to the beautiful chazan singing, no. Take advantage. Repentance, regret, shame, prayers, confession, Yom Kippur, accepting not to repeat the sins. Now, if we, chas v'shalom, needs to get suffering for all the Shabbat we didn't keep and the chametz that we ate in Pesach and all those karet punishment, there is a way not to get it. How? giving a lot of donations. Not Pamaim Chai. She makes a thousand dollars a day in her office, she gives thirty-six thousand. It's not a donation. Donation means when you write the check, your hands is shaking and your heart is twisting. Three days after you don't sleep. Wow, how did I write such a check? That's a sacrifice. Ah, the poor person, you know, sometimes you go to houses of poor people or Bahure Shiva. They barely have what to eat. They give $100. It's a big thing for them. $100 for him. Do you know what a sacrifice it is? Sometimes it's the other way around. You talk to billionaires. Hey, give $5,000. What is this for him? Before he finished to write the check, he make 10 times more already. By the time he started to fill up the check, until he finished, he already made 50. Donation means chazonish wrote that it has to hurt. When you come, let's say you take a week of your life. Some people, a week of their life is $500. They work very hard, $500. Some people, a week of their life is half a million dollars. Depends who you are. If you take a week of your life before Yom Kippur and you give big donation, especially to a good cause, you come in front of Hashem on Yom Kippur, the Satan comes and says, look at this woman, how many sins she did this year. All year she was not modest. She didn't keep one Shabbat for 50 weeks. She didn't eat kosher all the time. She did this. Lashonara non-stop. She never prayed. She never did that, that. The Satan is all this. He's a prosecutor. Then comes the defense and says, excuse me. She just gave one month of her life to people she doesn't even know. Why? Because they learn Torah. Because this guy makes Bali tshuva. He makes them religious. Because this guy gives CDs to people. Because this guy helped the poor. She went and did something. Look at her real one. That's, that's the real who she is. She was willing to work very hard and come and give her blood for strangers. Why? Because to make Hashem happy. The Satan has nothing to say. So it's a big problem now. Why? It's just like when they come, the lawyers in front of the judge, the judge is about to send him to 20 years in prison. What does the lawyer do? They bring all kinds of letters from rabbis. Not once and not twice I wrote letters like this. Please write how much she helped, how much she did this and how much she helped there. And you write him a letter and believe it or not, 
based on my letter twice, two prisoners got two and a half years less, one two years and one two and a half years less in prison because of one piece of paper. Because we wrote how he helped the poor and this and that. He brought it to the judge. From the 20 years, he gave him two years less. Two years less. Why? Because he gave few donations. Even here, the judge, the goy, acknowledge it. The real judge, Akadosh Baruch Hu, won't acknowledge it. Any questions before we finish? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, Tehili. All Kippur, we have to read Tehili. Sure, take it every minute. Half of the prayers are Tehili on Kippur. Yes, yes, of course. Yom Kippur, it's a day not to waste. Anyway, we cannot watch things, we cannot do, we cannot work, we cannot eat. What's to do? To learn and to read and to pray and to read Tehilim and to do tshuva. And the most important hour of the year is the last hour of Yom Kippur. Not because you go to the shul to hear shofar. If you didn't hear shofar, nothing happened. Most important thing is the last hour of Yom Kippur. It's called filat ne'ila. Better to be in shul, not at home. You come for the last two hours, well, let's say now this year it's going to be starting from around 4, 4.30 until 8. It was last two, three hours. That's when they prayed Filat Neila. Why? Because this is the most critical hour of the year. If a person cry and pray and ask Hashem to forgive him, there's an opportunity to erase a lot of the sins of the previous years and to make the upcoming year a lot better. If a person sleeps, because it's hard for him to fast, and then when he wake up, Yom Kippur is finished, he missed the opportunity. Yes, he rested, but then he missed the most important hour of the year. It's an hour that Hashem is willing to forgive the most out of the entire year. Think about it, 365 days. Multiply by 24 hours. Take all this big number, take one hour out of it. That's the last hour of Yom Kippur. From six to seven, that's the hour. That's why everybody's screaming shul. El Nora Alila, El Nora Alila, Hamsilanu Mechila, Bish Ataneila. Please send us forgiveness in the last hour of lacking Share Shamaim, the gate of the court of heaven. The court is sealed. One last hour, last chance. Last chance with a lot of mercy. Take advantage on it. Don't. Yom Kippur, no phones, no cell phones, no computer, no driving, of course, no eating, no putting cream or perfume, no shower, no intimate relationship with the husband, no leather shoes, allowed leather belt, no leather shoes, has to be material, you know, not in like cracks or something like that. Huh? Canvas, yeah, canvas could be, you know, rubber, no leather shoes. And it's not a day to start being a model in a fashion show. It's a day that we beg for our life. You know, you don't have time for this now, right? Like I said, no creams, no perfume, no shampoo, no shower, none of these things. Yeah, before Kippur, yes, you can do it. On the day before Yom Kippur, it's mitzvah to eat a lot. The more you eat, the more mitzvah it is. Very interesting. To drink a lot, don't wait for the last 10 minutes to drink the whole gallon. No, it's not going to help. You have to start from the morning of Tuesday, start to drink non-stop. Every five, ten minutes, a glass of water. Another one. Because the body observes it. The body, the way the body is, if you drink a lot of water in one shot, it also goes out in one shot. 
But if you drink one glass, and 10, 15 minutes later, another glass, and then half an hour, another glass, they observe better in the body, and they keep you not dizzy and not thirsty. One spoon of honey before the fast begins, that will help to reserve all the liquid. Don't eat salty food or spicy food before the fast. Don't. And eat a lot. And don't stuff yourself in the last meal. Better to finish the last meal an hour before the fast begins. The fast begins about 5 to 7. So at 6, you should be done with the meal. Then you can eat some dessert a little bit. And the most important thing to drink. Don't drink coffee in the last hour. Coffee releases the liquid out, the caffeine. It's not good. It makes the fast bad. Better to eat chunks of watermelon. Swallow them or melon that slowly, slowly they digested and release liquid in the stomach. You understand? So this is some tips for easy fast. But if the fast is not easy, even better. <laughs> it erases more sins of what you cry. More questions? Nelly, any question? Everything? Everything clear? No? Everything clear? Very. One Nelly on the left, one on the right. Very. <laughs> no? There's an older one. Yeah, I saw. Three. Yeah, they all look the same, right? Oh, Hashem. Any? No, any? And you all decided to have short hair? It's a unanimous decision? No, actually, it's not against the Torah. If the husband loves it, it's not against the Torah. As long as the husband loves it, a woman can dress and, and like a husband loves it, as long as it's kosher. Bold. It's against the Torah, yes, completely bold. But to have, to have a, a short hair, it's not against the Torah. No, any more questions? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. To everyone. Hope I didn't scare you too much. And if I did, it's very good. That means we achieve our mission. And don't, don't ever be afraid to get afraid. Because it's a very good tool for life. Fear, rich results. No fear, usually no results. Thank you very much. Shana Tumba.